Welcome to the Leadership Activators podcast. I'm thrilled that you're here. If we haven't met yet, my name is Carol Issa. I'm a former sound engineer turned professional coach for leaders and entrepreneurs. I truly believe that it's so important to surround yourself with resourceful minds, and it takes just one idea to create massive change in your life. With each episode, I bring you a special guest or message to help you enable the leader in you and live life on your terms. I trust that you'll enjoy this episode. Thank you so much for listening and thank you for being you. Hello everyone and welcome to the Leadership Activators podcast. I'm Carol Issa. For those of you who I haven't met yet, I'm the founder of Leadership Activators and the host of the Leadership Activators podcast. Today I have a very special guest with a topic that is very close to my heart, which I'm absolutely passionate about. The psychometric assessments controversy, are they the key or just a lock? And David Leahy, thank you so much for joining me in this conversation. I'm thrilled to have you on the podcast. Thanks, Carl. I'm delighted to be here. It's great. Thank you for the opportunity. So, um, David, what is Great People Inside Australia, which is the company that you're the director of, and um, who do you work with? So, uh, Great People Inside Australia is a partner with greatpeopleinside.com or Great People Inside International. So, we're a global organization, and um, we what we do is we help organizations de-risk recruitment and develop people to their maximum potential. So by way of a little bit of background, uh, Great People Inside is an award-winning organization. We're a young company. We were established in 2015. Um, We're the developers of the world's first fully customizable psychometric assessment and 360-degree platform. The clients we deal with, um, we deal with everybody. Anybody who has people, um, we deal with. But generally, our our, our clients are organizations with um, volumes of, of um, uh, employees, uh, where they're looking to um, de-risk that recruitment process and where they're also looking to work with their employees throughout the employee life cycle. Awesome. Love it. Wow. That was super quick. I know so much about you. Great summary. Absolutely love it to the point. Um, I'm very curious about how is it that you became passionate about people? Well, look, uh, how did I become passionate about people? Well, firstly, I think I'm one myself anyway, so that's that's a start. Uh, and secondly, look, I, I worked in um, my career. Uh, you can tell by my accent, I'm originally from Ireland. I'm from Dublin. And yes. I emigrated to Australia about, thir- about 30 years ago, and I never lost my accent. Um, and um, <laughs> so I worked in in corporate world, I suppose, for want of a better world, for, for much of my career up until about 15 years ago when I started my first uh, consultancy. And during that time, I remember using the terminology, oh, I, I, um, I coached my people, you know, I coached them how to do this and I coached them how to do that. And, and I mentored them. And really, um, it wasn't until I left the corporate world um, and um, went, uh, I went back to school, so to speak, and got my coaching accreditation myself, uh, that I realized what I was doing uh, was not coaching. And, um, and while my passion for people always was driven by, um, in the corporate world, of watching somebody under my care and my team, um, as I used to say, flap their wings and fly away to something bigger, brighter, and better. And it just gave me that... Um, adrenaline rush, I suppose, when somebody walked into my office and said, I'm after getting this job and I'm going to be 
you know, MD of this or CFO of that or whatever it was. And I always found that very exciting that I had made some small contribution in that person's life and in their career um, so that they are they were better, hopefully, than um, before and had grown, hopefully, than before they, they actually met me. So that's where my, my passion for people started. It also was influenced, I have to tell you this story, um, in my corporate life again, where our management team was experiencing some uh, coaching. We were, we were, as a group, we were, we wanted to become a more effective leadership team. And so the company organized some um, executive coaching for us. And I always remember my very first, uh, I thought I was naive. I remember my very first meeting uh, with my coach. Um, I wasn't a big fan. You know, I, I sat in front of this guy and I said to him, you know, you know what, coaching, the company is doing this and I support it. I think it's great. But look, I think coaching is a bit of poppy rot myself. So, um, but look, knock yourself out, coach me to your heart's content, that'd be great. And after about 12 um, sessions, six, well, maybe, maybe 10 sessions, 10 to 12 sessions, I found this was um, insightful and enlightening. And it started, the whole process started with the psychometric test that, test that helped me understand more about, about who I am. And um, it was very successful, actually. The coaching was very successful uh, for the team and, and, as I say, very enlightening. I absolutely love how is it that you moved from being a skeptical that this is not for me and that sort of, you know, yeah. wooshy-washy, uh, fluffy duck, I don't know, woo-woo, yeah. so, so many different terms that people use when they're referring to coaching. Right. Yeah, um, it's fluff, then, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and still yeah. up until this day, although I, I believe that back then when you were exposed to coaching, it was less popular than it is today. Um, Correct, so, yeah, that yeah. was true, yeah. Now yeah. it's it's still uh, way more popular. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, uh, the other thing I was going to say is that so I I went and and, and I am a coach myself. I'm a level three um, in, uh, IECL coach, um, so, which is the highest level you can get. And I've probably coached um, five or six hundred hours of coaching, you know. And I've been very lucky to coach leaders both in Europe, in the USA, um, and in those days it was Skype. So I did a lot of Skype. Um, you don't hear yeah. Skype much anymore. It's all Zoom. And um, USA, Europe, um, South America. I had some clients in South America, Middle East. Um, so it's really been an amazing journey. And and um, I find it uh, helps me uh, in, in practically everything that I do. I, I, it's amazing to see how is it that you are actually coaching different backgrounds and cultures like from what you shared here. It sounds to me like you've yeah. done a bit of a worldwide tour with your yes. coaching um, what what yes, is it yes. that you found being different? Is it any different? Like, because I do that too. And many people ask me, like, how is it that you can do that? So from your perspective and in your experience, what does it feel like to coach people from different cultures and backgrounds? Uh, very challenging. Very, very challenging. Um, I think uh, anytime I, I acquired um, a client or a coach, uh, or I needed to coach uh, a client, um, where practical very practical, I would make an effort to um, actually visit the location. Um, so go and spend some time in, you know, in the location that I'm coaching to get to understand the culture, some places I had already been. Um, the Middle East, uh, was one, I, I worked with a number of uh, people there and that was most challenging because it's completely different to my thinking about the world and and uh, that uh, I was able to, I investigated that and and also by asking the the um uh, coachee, I'd ask them a lot at the beginning. So that whole 
chemistry session, so to speak, would go over a number of sessions, just so we created that that relationship. Because I think coaching is is foundation, is in you know trust and understanding and. Um, and so that, that initial part of the process wasn't rushed. Before we got anywhere near coaching, we, we made uh, uh, use of that time to get to know one another intimately. Um, but yes, I found it. I found it very challenging because there are certain certain I suppose dynamics in different cultures that um, while people may speak the same version of English as us, um, it's a different culture and different thinking and different values in the in the um, in business and in society. So being aware of that um, is, is very important and, and something I've worked hard on. If you're loving this episode and would like to listen to the other episodes on this podcast, visit leadershipactivators.com slash podcast or look for Leadership Activators in your favorite podcast app. People do not have an understanding or haven't been exposed yet to psychometric tools. They understand more or less what personality tests might be or close to that. Uh, but when it comes to have a conversation about psychometric tools, it's a different game. So um, if we were to demystify this term, I'm curious, how is it that you define psychometric assessments and tools? Um, so psychometric assessments and tools are, look, they go back to, you know, the, the fifth century or something. Um, and um, they're tools that help um, an organization primarily to understand um, the personality traits, uh, the cognitive capabilities, uh, the motivations of uh, people, motivations and interests, what they like to do, and um, and through this, the modern uh, modern assessments can pair people with the right job. So they help an organisation to gain insights as to whether a person is going to enjoy the type of job that they're 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 going for. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, spot on. Love it. Wow, I'm going to borrow that. <laughs> Moving forward, <laughs> I was going to a long-winded <laughs> explanation there. Love it. Thank you, David. Yeah. Um, so, um, what 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 is the difference between the psychometric assessment that you use, um, which is uh, great people inside, and the popular ones that most people have come across already, which is DISC or Myers Briggs? Yeah. So. Um, it's a great question. So the difference mainly between um, what we uh, use as, as great people inside, uh, firstly, is, in, is around our science. So our science is different uh, insofar as we, our assessments are normative, not to get too jargony, and Myers-Briggs and DISC are ipsative. So an ipsative assessment is something where a person is um, comparing themselves with themselves, comparing me with myself. So they'll have questions like, I'm more extrovert than introvert, where uh, a normative assessment is comparing um, a person with a job and comparing a person uh, with a working population. Um, so that's the differences between from a scientific point of view. The second part is that our assessments measure, um, you know, more of uh, the, the, the whole dimension of the person. So we measure uh, both their behaviors or behavioral traits or personality. Uh, we measure their cognitive capability and we measure their motivations and interests, what they like to do. Whereas a Myers-Briggs and a, a, a DISC uh, primarily just measure personality only. 
and um, and the uses for these tools are are different as well. Our tools are primarily based on um, recruitment and development, and and Mars Briggs and uh, DISC are very helpful for organisations in um, uh, you know identify. For example, if you were doing a training session, understanding who the personality types are that you have in a room. Our test uh, may or may not um, provide that 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 easily for you with the model that people can grasp. Um, the other element of, of ours that is unique is that ours is, uh, as I mentioned earlier, the world's first fully customizable assessment. So what that means is that um, if you ask for a test from a psychometric provider, usually what you're going to measure is fixed. You know, they say, okay, I want to test for a salesperson. Here's the things you're going to measure. Or I want to test for a general manager. The testing provider will say, these are the, the fixed test. And what that means is that the user of the test can't modify it in any way, you know. So they could be measuring things they don't need to measure, and they maybe could be not measuring things they should be measuring. And with our assessments, what, you're, what the platform allows you to do is to select the specific dimensions uh, that you wish to measure. And by dimension, I mean, you know, um, assertiveness, you know, working with words, you know, reasoning, those sort of things. So you can select all that on the platform and assess precisely uh, what, what you want to assess uh, for the role. The other thing that's different between ours and a, and a Myers-Briggs is that we are benchmarkable. So in other words, we're able to create a profile or a benchmark for the role based on the people that are already doing the job and give, mm. give an organization a, a, a reference point um, for the results to say, well, is this good or is this bad that this person is assertiveness? What's currently working in, the, in this role? So, so they're the main differences. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Actually, um, I can see that it's customizable and it sounds like it's modular so that we really look at what really matters as opposed to getting hit by a whole bunch of information that we don't really need. So it contextualizes right. it way more, which is great. Um, exactly right. Yeah. So, so David, in, in recent years, there has been some controversy surrounding the use of psychrometric assessments um, in the hiring mm. and development process. And I have come across that a lot. Um, so what's your perspective when it comes to this? Yeah, look, I know that there, there are a lot of, um, I suppose, um, controversial um, uh, aspects about psychometric assessments. And mainly, I think, because uh, people are worried about uh, things like, um, uh, oh, look, this is going to screen out the good candidates. You know? It's going to screen out people who, who should get the job. Um, or, you know, there's also things like, um, I didn't get the job because I failed my psychometric test. You know? um, and um, there's also things uh, where people talk about, um, you know, uh, look, these things are not reliable because the people who are taking them fool the test. You know, they just answer the way they want to answer the questions and they fool the test, so to speak. Um, the other thing that comes across a lot is, oh, look, I used uh, psychometrics before and it didn't work. The person still left, you know. Um, so that's that's one that, that comes up and I'd be happy to answer to that as to what my views are on that. And finally, I think things like um, language is very important, you know. So if, if somebody's native language is, uh, if they're tested in their non-native language, that there's a potential that they misunderstand the questions and therefore the reliability of the test is not, uh, is is not successful, you know, and and you can't really rely on on the results, you know. So that whole language and cultural interpretation thing can be a, can be a major um, challenge as well. So they're the the main elements that that we come across in terms of people's um, 
uh, in terms of that controversial, why are we using this? You know, I, I think as well that people, um, you know, there's lots of tests on the internet today that you can go on and put in psychometric tests. And I think it's one of the most searched words. And um, you can do all sorts of tests, you know, and, but you've no idea whether they're valid or reliable or whether they're, you know, they're free. You know, what, what, what are they about? You know, what are they? Are they just a horoscope from a magazine or are they actually a test? You know? And um, so I think people, you know, when they read it, then sometimes they get an assessment that maybe is not. Um, that's a free one and they read and say, this doesn't sound like me. These things are no good. You know? and, and one of the things I'd, I'd say about psychometrics as well that is really important. Look, technology in every aspect of our life has impacted everything we do. There isn't a thing that technology doesn't impact. And psychometrics are no different. So I like to say to people, look, think about that psychometric test that you took 10 years ago or something. And now think about the mobile phone that you had 10 years ago. What's the difference between the mobile phone you had 10 years ago and the phone that you have today? And it's probably that your mobile phone 10 years ago could probably just, you could answer phone, answer the phone and talk on it. That was it. You couldn't do text or SMS or photographs or uh, get on the web or anything like that. And so to give you that, that I suppose, analogy, it's, it's the same with psychometric assessments that um, contemporary modern assessments have um, evolved and technology and the um, algorithms that are behind the assessments are significantly more uh, advanced than what was what was there previously. A good example that I'll give to you of that is, you know, if you take a psychometric test that was created 10 years ago, um, you know, they weren't talking about managing generations. It wasn't something we, we talked about. We were looking at people's, you know, personality only. But nowadays, particularly in our assessments, we have dimensions that measure a person's uh, tendency towards managing um, the different generations. And as you know, in many organizations, we're working with I don't know, is it four generations now that are in the workforce at one time. And a person of any age could be responsible for managing them. And so having some insights and a tool that can give you insights on that. So I would, would say that when you think about, you know, the other language that uses psych tests, when you think it sounds a bit like psycho, when you think about psych tests, <laughs> they have changed and they have evolved and they have grown. So I think uh, uh, approach them with an open mind. They can be very insightful. You know? Yeah, yeah, I can see that uh, the psychometric tests and assessments have evolved a lot um, and they definitely have. Um, I'm wondering if you still see any limitations or challenges that are associated with using psychometric assessments today. And if yes, um, how do you address these challenges to ensure accurate and fair assessments? Um, do I see any limitations? <clears throat> Look, uh, the opening comment that I would pass is that a psychometric test um, should never make up any more than about a third of your decision-making process in a people decision, whether you're hiring, promoting, um, you know, moving to a different department or whatever, and you're using the people information. It really should never make up about a third. The problem is that um, hum us human beings are very complex, complex beings. And the expectations um, are that uh, this tool is going to predict uh, to within an inch of its life um, what the person is like. And um, there are tests that tell us how valid these, these we have lots of tests, et cetera, that um, tell us how valid the assessments are um, and uh, how accurate they can be in terms of their um, predictive uh, capabilities. And so um, what I would say to people um, in terms of the, the limitations is to make sure you're working with 
somebody who understands assessments, you know, who understands the interpretation, who understands the, um, uh, the, the jargon, that can be jargon in some assessments. We've worked hard in our assessments to make sure we've got just plain language. There's no psychobabble in there. It's just very straightforward. So make sure they're working with people. Make sure that they prepare the candidate and explain to the candidate that that they, um, you know, should be rested. Um, you know, explain they can't fail it. Um, most modern assessments now have some sort of a, a distortion scale that checks if somebody's trying to fool the assessment. So alert the candidate to that. Invite the candidate to take some tests, some sample tests if they want. Um, uh, and I suppose then work with an, an organisation, obviously, that's um, reputable and, and has um, a quality product. And there's lots of those companies um, in the market that, that would be the main thing. But just working with somebody who understands psychometrics is very important to overcome any limitations um, that exist. Yeah, and I would imagine that you would definitely include a component uh, when you're working with organisations where you are training decision makers on like you said, how to read it, how to interpret it, and uh, where it starts and where it stops, and what else we need to take yes. into consideration when making crucial crucial decisions. So um, this might sound like the same question, but I'm trying just to make sure that I, um, I'm able to tackle all different angles. So um, based on your experience, David, how can organizations strike a balance between relying on the psychometric assessments and considering other factors in their hiring and development decisions? Mm -hmm. um, one of the things I'd say is that, you know, any sort of recruitment is risky. You know? Risky recruitment is, is a huge topic. Um, and the reason why, first of all, why, why recruitment is risky is because, um, you know, not always do people have enough um, objective data, objective information available to them when they're making a decision about a person. You know, our natural human tendency is to make decisions about people the minute they walk in the door. And within a couple of seconds, we've decided about this person. And so all that bias that comes into play. So I suppose to, to make sure you, you um, get the maximum benefit from it, first of all, um, to ensure that um, uh, your, you park your bias. So using an assessment, one of the major advantages of it is allowing you to park your bias by um, giving you some objective information about which to make the hiring or, or um, development decision about a particular person. So to make sure you have that objective data. The second thing I, th I think is that not only should you have the data about the person, but you should have some data about how it relates to the role and to the culture of your organization. So how is this person um, you know, relating to what our, our, our environment is like? Um, and, and you do that through a form of benchmarking. So make sure you're benchmarking within your organization. My preference is, uh, is benchmarking for internally in the organization, because I think that allows an organization to create, in effect, their own norms you know, as to what's working. It also allows them to modify those benchmarks um, with time um, as, as the market changes, the business changes, the market, the, the requirements of the role change. And so they can modify those benchmarks so it's not just a set and forget, so to speak. And the third thing I always recommend is make sure you test cognitive capability. Um, so we are more than just our personality. We are more than just our hard wiring. Um, there's so much more to us. It's how we process information. It's how we make sense of things. Is that cognitive? I'm not talking about an IQ test. I'm just talking about our basic 
cognitive ability because that's very important. I think the, the other benefit for organizations is thinking about the whole fit and suitability. We use the word fit a lot in, in you know, you hear people saying things, oh, they, they didn't work out, they just didn't fit. What does fit mean? And so we define fit by, by saying, look, fit is all about is the person going to be able to handle all that, that the, the mental demands of the job? So it's the cognitive side. Will they like the environment, the people they're going to be working with? That's the more the, the that, um, I suppose, that personality, hard-wiring side. And thirdly, what are their motivations? What do they like to do at work, you know? And measuring that around their, what well, we measure occupational interests. So to, to, to do that and have a benchmark around that and give yourself as much information as you, as you can and use the tools. Most of the tools today come with, um, suggestions with regards to behavioral type questions to ask to help you explore further with the candidate um, what, what's behind particular results that they have. And I think using those tools and making sure that you, you avail of that um, uh, facility helps you conduct better interviews without bias and um, can be very powerful. And then the other element, I'll go back to what I said earlier on, you know, where people say, look, we tried psychometrics, it didn't work, they, they still, they left. You know, just because you do a psychometric test on a person on the way in the door, really the, the work's not finished. Um, mm -hmm. It doesn't finish once they sign the employment contract. You need to provide the person with their results. You need to be able to have a tool that will allow you to perform gap analysis. You're never going to get anybody who matches what you need for the role 100%. They haven't been born yet. So you need to have a tool that will allow you to identify what that analysis is and support the manager or the person responsible for that, per for that new team member um, in their um, development and in their first number of months in the organization by saying, look, you've been successful in the role, congratulations. One of the things we noticed in your assessment was sometimes you like to talk a bit much, you know? So that might be a good area for us to start on because here people are a little bit more reserved. So just be aware of that and, and give you, and our tools give you coaching suggestions, development suggestions, how to, how to help the, the manager conduct that conversation. You know, people still need to be managed once they come in the door using the information that you've got. It can be very helpful to do that. So that's some of the ways I'd recommend that organizations maximize their use and maximize the potential for success um, for um, when using a psychometric. Awesome. Absolutely love it. It's actually making me think about um, definitely you have a lot of case studies and success stories uh, as part of your work. And you've come across yeah. a lot of people who have transformed their professional development and even the organization's talent management uh, well, with your help using the Great People Insight tool and your coaching. So any success story or specific example that you can share with us where um, a psychometric assessment played a major and crucial role in this context? Yes, I can. Um, so um, uh, the, I won't mention the company's name, but yes. it's a, a company working on their, they, their, um, their business is mainly um, in the, they're like a one-stop shop for civil engineers. So they've got a whole range of products that, that civil engineers would use. And um, they're a very fast-paced, fast-moving company. And uh, when I came in contact with them, um, they had very high turnover um, in certain departments within their organization. Uh, particularly not notably was their customer service role. So the customer service and the uh, support staff uh, in that type of role needed to have 
some understanding about how the products worked for the client. You know, how do they, what do they do with them? So usually they were people coming with some trade background or, uh, you know, a technical background. So they understood, but may not always have had the skills in terms of um, communicating as a customer service person would with, with a, a client effectively. And um, so I think that the turnover in one department was something in the order of about 70%. Oh, wow. Um, and that, yeah. So, so that was very high. <laughs> And um, so they, they were, um, it was like a revolving door they had, you know, and it was mm-hmm. partly because there was, um, you know, it's not, I can't take all the credit for it. Um, at the time, they had just um, employed a, a relatively new um, member of their team, a senior HR uh, person, and uh, she put structure in place. She introduced great people inside to, to the business. That's who we worked with in, in helping um, implement. And... Um, uh, they they over a period they reduced um, their turnover by something like by about fifty percent reduction in their in their turnover and they're still it's still coming down so they got much better by by um, creating um, the benchmarks so they understood exactly what the attributes were they needed for a technical person to be successful in the job the other thing that that, that has happened in the same organisation is um, they progressed it to uh, using a lear- creating a learning and development program within the organization. And the, the, the foundation stone of the L&D product were, um, is the great people inside assessment tools and the great people inside dimensions. So that as part of that whole development process on the L&D program, they um, used that, that foundation stone to help them build it. We weren't involved in the building of the, of the, um, of the L&D program, but the, the separate organization did that. But uh, it, our tool was was the foundation. So they're the sorts of way that it's it, it, that a psychometric can help you, not just from the point of view of of hiring somebody, but it's that ongoing journey where you you take them on board, you see what their attributes are, you conduct the gap analysis, you have a program in place to help them, and all that can lead to significant reduction in in your employee turnover, significant increase in your productivity. Um, and obviously, any bit of productivity goes straight down to the bottom line, significant increase in, in profitability. What a phenomenal story. I absolutely love it. It's, it's a, amazing. Yeah, it's, like, yeah, oh, wow, the result is massive. There's a few more, but <laughs> that's one of the <laughs> ones that I think are very notable uh, that, that was such a, um, a huge, um, huge success for them. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, David, looking ahead, what do you see as the future of psychometric assessments being and um, how do you envision them evolving to meet the changing needs of demands and the business world? Hmm. Um, well, I, I think, you know, we, we can't leave artificial intelligence out of that conversation because I do think, as I said earlier, that, that um, you know, um, psychometric testing has evolved over the years and the algorithms are certainly more sophisticated. But AI brings it to a new level. And the challenge um, uh, with AI can sometimes be um, the ability to, um, you know, it's con- that continual learning makes it more difficult to determine what great looks like. You know, so with psychometrics, they have, uh, you know, there's a norming that's done around the population. People sometimes criticize that norming, but it's very effective in terms of being able to identify um, particular demographics. Uh, demographic groups with particular educational qualifications and identify how they interact with your test. But for AI to do that successfully, it can be quite challenging. I do know that 
um, Jeff Bezos and Amazon had a particular program in place. Look, it might be four or five years ago. If there's somebody on the line, I'm sure they'll be able to tell us more about it. But my recollection was they had an AI system created to hire people um, and um, it was um, cancelled because they found that it had a, a, an anti-female bias that was building into mm. the assessment as it went along. So I do think that, yeah, I'm not an AI expert by any stretch of the imagination, but I do think that's where, the, where it will go, that they will work out a way of, of uh, managing that, that referencing and that norming of how people interact with the particular tests. And um, that will be the, um, uh, where the future goes with, with uh, psychometric tests, that they'll become um, more, um, I suppose, uh, less, less fixed and more flexible, even further flexibility. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, AI is definitely going to be part of it. I also have come across um, about a couple of years ago um, around uh, looking at facial expressions while the person was uh, respond re like uh, responding to certain questions or they would uh, expose the person to different scenarios visually and they would read the facial expressions and that would tell about the person's behavior or that sort of thing. I'm not sure where, where it's led at this stage, but I would believe that this would be part of uh, where, where it's going as well. Um, yeah. So, I mean, there's some great advances out there already in terms of um, interviewing, you know, volume interviewing. They've, they've become very good at that. There's a lot, number of companies I know in Australia with some really good tools that are, are good for, for that, you know, if you've got, you know, a massive number of applications that you need to get through, um, the, the screening tools for the, those can be, the good ones can be very effective. You know? Yeah, um, the, the question that I keep getting all the time, and I would love to hear your perspective on this, is like, how intrusive is a psychometric assessment? Like, how is like, you know, like it's violating sort of the privacy of the person. Like, what, what is your perspective when it comes to this comment? How intrusive is a psychometric assessment? Um, I, I certainly wouldn't use the word intrusive. I think um, part of, of the use of psychometric assessments it's a double-edged sword. So it's not just for the benefit of the company, but it's also for the benefit of the individual. Um, one, of, one of the major elements of, of a good psychometric tool uh, is its ability to accurately identify the attributes, cognitive abilities, et cetera, of the person, their abilities, their traits, their interests, et cetera, of the person. And um, providing that person with their, their assessment results, their report, helps that person to um, to an extent to look in the mirror, to, to see and use language and heighten their awareness around their attributes of who they are. And as I said at the beginning, you can't fail who you are. You are who you are. You know? and, and so um, and that, that really recall, requires the organization to share the results. So I know people do psychometric assistance and don't always get their results, but it's okay to ask the provider if you want to see your results, if you, even if you don't get the job. Um, because we certainly would, would um, encourage that. If they want to see the result, that's fine. But the, it's, it's helpful for, to the person because, you know, if we, for example, let's take a, a, um, an expression that we use a lot when, when organizations talk about, or oh, we work in a very fast-paced environment. Right, that's wonderful. So what sort of person is going to enjoy a fast-paced environment? And so the benefit of the um, the, the assessment on the individuals applying for that role is to identify people that enjoy fast-paced environments. 
the company would do you a disservice by not identifying if you enjoy a fast-paced environment because after three or four months in there or less and you're, you don't enjoy that sort of environment, you'll be gone. You'll, you'll leave. You just I don't like it. It's, everything happens too quickly. Or equally, if it's an environment where everybody sits in the corner looking at their computer screens, doing what they're doing with no chatter, and you like a little bit of interaction and conversation and sociability. Now, I know we're all working from home these days, but generally, um, you, you, you know, if you're working from home, even understanding who works from home effectively, you know, understanding who, who enjoys some social interaction, trying to make sure that we... Um, are, uh, we're not intruding on the individual. We're actually trying to match the individual to make sure that the individual has as much success as possible in the role, as, uh, rather than just interviewing them based on our what our intuition. I really like um, Carol. You know, I think she's great. I think she'd fit in really well. And so, instead of hiring people you like, um, you're better off to hire people that will fit, and you know that they have um, both the cognitive ability. You know, this, this, another great example, I think, is a person's relationship with rules and regulations. You know, mm-hmm. We measured that at most psychometric assessment measure. What's this person's relationship? Now, if you're interviewing somebody and you say, what sort of environment do you like? To, oh, look, I like process and structure. When you do a psychometric test on them, you may find, actually, they like to bend the rules a little bit. They don't like to break rules. Right? They just like to bend them a bit to get around things. So will they enjoy that environment where it's very process and structured? Probably not. But again, without the benefit of having some um, below the waterline insights, uh, you can't tell. And so it's as much of a benefit, I think, to the candidate as it is to the organization, because the organization is approaching it, certainly with our assessments, on the basis of fit to make sure that person fits with the fits with the business. Yeah, it's a win-win situation approach because, yeah, I think it's different levels of also awareness. Like sometimes the candidate is very well aware of where they're at. And sometimes they're not. So, um, yeah, having this um, this conversation around what they know of, what they don't, and then see how we can evolve together. Because like you said, they will be miserable if they are in an environment that is not a good fit. Again, I'm going to use this word um, yeah. for them and vice versa, yeah. where they cannot thrive. It's, right. it's a waste of time. And, yeah. yeah. So um, absolutely yeah. love it. Um, so, David, if someone is interested to take the assessment, um, what is the best way to get access to it, the great people inside the assessment? Um, well, as part of, of um, our, our, our working together, we have made available um, a link where if somebody wants to try the assessment for free, um, they can uh, click on the link, follow the instructions, and um and hold tight, no one joking, and, and take the assessment, and, and, and we, you'll automatically they'll automatically get their report at uh, the minute they're completed. Uh, and if they've got any inquiries, obviously they can visit us on our website and, and the usual usual methods. You know, but there's we've made available some uh, links on the assessment for for the um, podcast attendees. Awesome, great! Thank you so much for being generous. So, uh, for our great listeners here who are now live with us and who will listen to this podcast later when uh, we publish it on podcast, Spotify, and Google Play, yep. um, we are going to make the link available to you so that you can get directly access to the free assessment. So, um, what does the word leadership mean to you, David? Mm. Um, leadership to me means. Um, uh, it's about inspiration. It's about inspiring others um, to be the best they can be, to help 
um, them grow and to help the organization achieve its goals. I think there's as many um, definitions of leadership as there are leaders, you know. But I think the, the individual achieves that, um, achieves their leadership through their own traits, through their abilities um, in terms of inspiring people. And they do that um, by um, demonstrating things like integrity, humility, honesty, fairness, um, vulnerability. Not a big fan of the old vulnerability word, but vulnerability. I always think about vulnerability. I read something somewhere recently that said, you know, it's okay for a leader to be vulnerable. But if you're the CFO, um, it's not okay to say, look, I'd like to be a bit vulnerable today and tell you that I never really got cash flow statements. They never made much sense to me, you know? So that's being a little bit too vulnerable. <laughs> so so I think... Um, oversharing. It isn't, <laughs> yeah, it's a bit oversharing. So, so to maintain... Vulnerability is... Um, uh, demonstrating vulnerability in, in 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 context, I suppose, is probably the best way to put it. So I do think that's how they achieve achieve um, how leadership can be achieved is through those um, attributes. And and the other element for me with leadership is you're always on display. You know, you're always on display. There's always somebody watching. We talked earlier on about how we make up our minds about people, and so it's beholden upon a leader to to have that awareness about the fact that they're on display and, and um, to make sure that they behave in line with um, what they would like to see the culture to be. They're, they're the creators of the culture. So using that word, the modeling words so and modeling that behavior to make sure that people get it and understand what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. I don't know whether anybody has seen any of the, um, have you watched any of the Ted Lasso stuff? No, I haven't. No. Oh, you've got to catch up with Ted Lasso. So Ted Lasso is an American TV program. Um, brief overview about a guy who is an American football, second grade American football coach, who's brought to England to coach a, um, a leading English Premier Soccer League com- uh, football club um, by the ex-wife of the owner, because the ex-wife is a bit bitter with the owner and she realizes that the, the, the team will fail if they bring somebody in who's hopeless. And that would be the worst thing that could happen to her ex-husband because he loved the football club. And so Ted Lasso, I mean, people will, should watch it, but well, so he, he has quite a lot of um, gems in terms of, of leadership, you know. And one of the episodes, um, people think it's about football. It's not really about football. It's more about coaching. Uh, so one of the episodes, his best player on the team, um, acts inappropriately just before halftime in a very important football match. And so the coach drags him and says, you're off. You're not playing anymore in the second half. And the fans go crazy, etc. And so come halftime, the team themselves are shocked. Their best player has gone on such an important match. He wasn't sent off. The coach pulled him off. So when they went into the dressing rooms, he, he said to them, look, just because your best player has gone off the team doesn't give you a license to lose. You need to go and and um, win win this game, and of course, fairy tale story. They go out and win the game, but the, mm. the the I suppose the the message that comes through the show is that he creates an environment where it's collaborative, it's innovative, um, and where you can make mistakes. And when you make mistakes, his comment about people you know making mistakes, he says to them, um, "What's the happiest animal in the world?" I said, "I don't know. It's a goldfish." 
And the reason a goldfish is the happiest animal in the world is it only has a 10 second memory. Be like a goldfish. Forget about your mistake. Move on. Move on. Exactly right. Move on. It's all the, look, I'm sure lots of people have seen it, but it's, uh, I do find that there are some gems in there with regards to contemporary leadership, um, particularly coming, you know, when people talk about being a leader in a, in a space where they actually don't know much about the workings of the, the job, so to speak, but you can be a leader and you can, in, in an environment um, through your, your strength of character and strength of um, uh, inspiration. So there's a Ted Lasso show that is something that we, we want to watch. Uh, what, yes. what about a book or a podcast that you've recently come across that you would highly recommend and why? Uh, um, I came across this book only recently. I know I'm a bit slow when it comes to the old reading, but um, this was a book by a Dr. Ross Harris, a Melbourne guy, and he wrote a book called The Reality Slap. You might have seen it or heard it or come across it. And, and what it's about is um, it's about how sometimes life gives us a slap, a reality slap. And this can be anything from uh, walking past, you know, the window in a shopping center and seeing that your stomach is hanging over your pants more than you thought it was. And the reality doesn't quite fit your view of what it should be. Everything from that right through to, you know, a significant um, sort of trauma or in illness or something like this. And in, in his book, he talks about how he, how he struggled to manage um, just shortly after the birth of his first child. They had um, been diagnosed with autism. You know, what did that mean? He had all these ideas about this child was going to be amazing and going to be this. And, and, that. and now the child obviously can be, but how he dealt with that. And so he talks about um, three elements he talks about. One is for successful, a successful sort of coping mechanism um, uh, with, with reality slaps. And uh, he talks about presence. So that's nothing new, being present and being willing to um, uh, sort of acknowledge and be grateful for what's around and be in the, be in the moment. Um, he, talks, he talks about um, uh, privilege, you know, the privilege of, of life. <clears throat> and so he, he, he really sort of brings together what are the, the elements of um, a life well lived where you have a purpose in your life, you have, you're present, you have purpose, and you have privilege. And privilege he describes as, he says, um, a really nice expression, he says, when wood and fire combine, they warm the heart. And when uh, presence and purpose come together, they, and with your heart, they provide you with that insight into the privilege of what life is. And so in those moments where you say, why is this happening to me? Why is this all so bad? Um, you know, this, this whole, the three P's as he calls them, really help you to, to manage that. And he talks about a chap, a psychologist uh, called Skinner, one of the famous, most famous psychologists in history, a chap called Skinner, and he's lying in his deathbed and Skinner's um, riddled with cancer and his mouth becomes very dry. And so um, uh, Skinner leads up, leans up to his care and says, look, have you any water? So he gives him a glass of water and, and Skinner tastes the cool, fresh water and utters his last words, marvellous. And so um, what Ross says is that, what we can speculate about, we can only speculate rather about why he did that. 
But um, Skinner's um, motivation and his purpose in his life was helping people to be the best they can be. And he's uh, speculating that that last comment of Marvellous was living that true privilege of life. And even in a moment where you can't get a much bigger reality slap than you're lying in your deathbed about to cack it, than that. And he uses this to provide some comfort to help those people left behind um, that his last words were so positive with marvellous and appreciating the world and life and what we've been given. So I would recommend the book. Um, it's The Reality Slap by Dr. Russ Harris. Look, I'm sure it was originally published in 2012 or 13 or something, I think like that. So it's a number of years old, but I find it really, really um, interesting and, and helpful. Wow, absolutely. Especially as my Beautiful. tummy does hang over a little bit. My tummy does hang over a little over my pants that I would like it. <laughs> you, know, you know, when you get rid of all the mirrors at the house that you don't have, and you're like, oh. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, so. Yes. So, yeah, still, the reality slap is there waiting for you around the corner. Yes, uh, so. absolutely. We all get them. But yes. we don't all cope with them as well as we should. Yeah, so. No, <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, so, um, so David, if you were to throw a 30-day challenge to our listeners, a challenge mm. that you believe will highly impact their business and or life, what would that challenge right. be? Right. Um, I think, um, look, the world we live in today is on this 24-hour news cycle, and everybody I come across um, uh relates and, and reflects on the fact that the world is um, so negative, you know, so negative at the moment. Um, people are doing it tough. It doesn't matter whether we're talking about, you know, crises um, in economies around the world, uh, rental crises, mortgage crises, um, violence and, and war, etc. So it's a very negative environment that we're, we're living in. So my challenge to the people would be for them to, to whatever type of diary they like to use, whether it be on their laptop, their phone, or a hard copy, that each day they get out of their bed and that they have their create a gratitude diary and write down in there, what are they grateful for? What are they grateful for in terms of their business? What are they grateful for in terms of things around? It can be as simple as I'm, I'm grateful to be getting out of bed some days. You know, I'm grateful that I can have the strength to get out of bed, or I can be grateful for the family that I have or grateful for for my, what I, my house I have, or whatever you're grateful for. And, and then at the end of the 30-day period, once you've done that for the 30 days, just have a read back on it and, and, and reflect on your how you feel about yourself and how you feel about the world all of a sudden to help you manage that, oops, that avalanche of, of negativity that comes to us. That was a sign, the avalanche. <laughs> that was, that's the avalanche coming, exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> a great Whoops. reflex <laughs> you caught it right there <laughs> yes <laughs> awesome so so, so yeah so that's yeah, my, so, my thoughts yeah. yeah so so david what's the best way to connect with you if some of our listeners would like to get in touch uh, i'm on linkedin so you can you'll get my page and under david leahy on linkedin um and you can uh, dm me there um and uh, i'm sure my contact details must be on the um um, on our documentation on the, for this podcast um, and yeah I'd be happy to, to talk to people or field any questions or, or um, um, support anybody if they're looking to revolutionize their recruitment process awesome thank you so much David for this amazing conversation it's been awesome having you 
Yeah, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. And thank you to all your listeners. And I hope uh, it was a benefit and useful, useful uh, spending their time with us. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I'm Carol Issa, and you've been listening to the Leadership Activators podcast. And if you're loving listening to this podcast, I'd love for you to write a review and leave a comment on what you've been learning and enjoying the most. I'm looking forward to being with you again very soon in the next episode.